UX Podcast Episode 134. Hello and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pat Axbom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. And we're balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. One of our challenges of the last well, year or so, I guess, has been trying to get hold of someone who's who could talk with us about material design. Yep. You've been dying to talk to someone I about have. material design. We've brought it up in a few episodes. Uh, we talked about it on a listener phone-in. We've had a, um, I think it was an article, a link show, where we talked about navigation or something. I think it came up as well in there. Yep. Uh, multiple times. And what we've, but what we've noticed is that the, there seems to be an awful lot of people who really aren't that up to speed with what material design is. And True. I wasn't before you started going on about it. And I think it gets classified mm-hmm. a little bit as an Android thing. Yeah. Whereas it's actually... A design language, design framework, mm-hmm. and well, that's my understanding of it. And I wanted to to learn more about it myself, and also to to help everyone else here learn some more about it. Mm-hmm. But we found it really difficult to get hold of someone who is knowledgeable and willing to talk about it. Thankfully, and then we did. In the end, <laughs> Danway, um, our co-host on our listener phone-ins, she pulled some strings, dug out some contacts, and put us in touch with. Rich Fulcher, yeah, who works at Google, um, and he he is part he is a design manager um, on the Material Design Systems team mm-hmm. at Google, and has been part of d- Material Design um, for four years mm-hmm. since um, the conceptual part of the development. So he is the guy to talk to if you want to know more about Material Design. <laughs> He's one of a maybe a dozen or so people yeah. that are. Oh, best to talk to about um, material design. Yeah, so it's fantastic. Now, this interview with him, it's it's sort of unique for us. Fantastic getting getting hold of him. So material design um, is a design system that emerged from a challenge that um, a few teams within Google were issued at the very, ugh, the very beginning of 2012, which was, is there a way we can come up with kind of a single unified design system that would work across not just all of Google, but across you know, the many third parties that design for Google's different operating systems um, that can cover a bunch of different uh, user needs on a bunch of different devices uh, in a really elegant fashion. And so while like a lot of their early basis for that work was, well, where does Google's visual language go forward? As we expanded that into kind of trying to define a system, we wanted to create something that was actually open enough for for any brand, any service, any application uh, to come and employ material design. Um, we have a few like tenants of, of, of material. Uh, we're definitely focused on uh, the idea that you know there were novel aspects of touch interfaces that need to be brought into um, design for all of platforms. Uh, and I guess probably the key aspect of that for material was uh, the, the focus on materials that gives it its name. Uh, the idea that surfaces are, are tactile, that they can be moved or manipulated, and that the way surfaces are pre- presented in the interface uh, should give the user cues as to how it will behave. So this is the, this is the tying in of, a, of, a, of the physical world with the, with, with the world of the screen. Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, as we were doing a lot of the, the work, especially focused on 
um, the mobile aspects of the experience, we would even talk about how we wanted it to feel like uh, all of the surfaces of material that a user would see when using this system could plausibly exist between kind of the glass that they're touching with their thumb or finger mm-hmm. and the uh, metal back of the device as it rests against uh, the palm of their hand. So we wanted to kind of define an elevation model for the way that surfaces move through uh, Z elevation um, that would feel like, okay, all of these surfaces are actually contained within the device in some sense. So it's not extending mm-hmm. infinitely past uh, the back of my palm, the front of my palm. Oh, right. So you, you actually, you actually did consider the 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 thickness of 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 the mobile device during the 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 concept work with material design yeah absolutely um when we were kind of trying to stage out what the like how much a dialogue should be elevated above another surface as it appears um we look at at things like that and you know even though there are thinner and thicker devices there is kind of a a fairly common range for handheld devices at least Obviously, it changes when you come to something like desktop or you come to something like a television where there's more of a perception of a deeper, infinite canvas. Um, But at least for mobile, uh, we wanted to have some boundaries in place to, again, just kind of reinforce those those ideas of, um, you know, everything that you're experiencing possibly being contained within the device that you're holding. Wow, interesting. Because, I mean, one of the driving forces seems to have been that it's it's making cross-platform design easier because you can use the same principles even if you're doing it on a smartwatch or on a TV. But now you're saying you also have to pay attention to, like, thickness of device and stuff like that. Uh, doesn't that make it kind of complicated? <laughs> uh, it certainly can. Um, and <laughs> I would say that, you know, obviously the goal is the, the first part of, the, of that question, which is yeah. we just want to make experiences that work, that a user can approach uh, and employ in a bunch of different circumstances on many different devices. But there is a value in all of those different contexts to giving kind of cues as to how that environment, as it's being interpreted by that device, is being constructed. So mm. we're not trying to like introduce an artificiality where it isn't wel- welcome or useful. Uh, but on some of the uh, contexts, we-, we found that it is valuable. So you mentioned the like depth. So it seems like every item in material design has uh, X, Y, and Z axis. You have to think about depth all the time, and that's kind of unique in a design context, I think, or for the web. Yeah, I think it's... Um, there are certainly other examples of it, but I think we take it to to a degree that maybe uh, is only matched by like some of the, the game in-game UX design, uh, right. where I think yeah. this has been yeah. a, a principle that's been applied for many, many years. Um, all the different you know, heads-up displays or analogs like that that you'll get in games have aspects mm-hmm. of this, you know, but some aspect of the interface is closer and more operable versus kind of this deeper view into uh, mm-hmm. other content that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the goal here is that um, we're not trying to kind of just kind of layer in needless dimensionality. Like it should be a way to uh, indicate how a system is going to afford interaction. And it may also be a signal for kind of what important or primary or, or um, kind of significantly promoted actions might be. So when we take something like mm-hmm. a primary action and we put it onto a control that in material we call a floating action button or a fab, uh, which is just a circular control that's raised off kind of the surface that it, it floats above. Um, often we kind of give it elevation and we give it color and we give it an icon. And those are like three signals of, okay, this action is somehow 
distinct on this page. Maybe it's the most common frequent thing that a user will do. Um, so we want to kind of promote it um, so that it has that both recognizability and kind of uh, ease of targeting and ease of uh, identifying within a larger system. Uh, and that also gives us attributes of once that's raised off the surface. So if I have a, a list of messages and a floating action button to let me add a new message, uh, then I can scroll that list beneath it. Uh, that can do whatever it wants. That's on a different plane. Uh, but the button can hover in place. It doesn't kind of need to be kind of chromed into like an area pinned at the bottom of the screen or at the top of the screen in a toolbar. Um, it can take that elevation and be a way to uh, kind of neatly coexist as other aspects of the the interface are changed through the through the user's engagement. Hmm. Yeah, I think I mean the 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 fab button is something that we've mentioned actually on the show a few times. Um, the way that it's it's very much on top of um, of a material design interface. But I th I, if I remember correctly, one time we talked about it was um, from a content from a viewpoint of there isn't sometimes there's two contexts that you maybe use one interface. So like the the primary action maybe in some cases would be um, you know adding a new entry or something, whereas maybe a primary action another time would be um, you know, playing something or viewing something that exists in a in a collection, and that the fab then maybe sometimes has a it's kind of forcing you to be to have one particular context on top when you actually add another one on top. Mm. Yeah, and I, that's a situation that arises fairly frequently. Um, mm. And I think the the most common guidance we give there is um, that in general designers need to like slow down the thinking that we've been used to for for decades, and I've been as guilty of it as anyone. That we think like here's one screen, here's another screen, here's the next screen, and we have you know our our, our artboard and our layout tool of choice, and we kind of do all these screens side by side, and we can neatly describe the hierarchy. Um, but I think modern interfaces are much more kind of fluidly adaptive. Um, and if you're kind of not thinking about, it's, it's not that like the user sees one scene, the curtain goes down, everything gets rearranged and the curtain comes back up and they're in a new scene. Uh, it's much more like kind of a dynamic stage choreography where elements are constantly kind of exiting and entering the stage, entering the user's view, moving kind of to the front or to the rear of the stage to become more or less prominent. Um, and kind of the floating action button should allow you to do that as well. So if there is a, because of something you detect about the task state or the user state at a moment, uh, it might be that you need to kind of, you know, tuck away the button because it's no longer the immediate re relevant thing. Uh, that's often yeah. like if a user scrolling a long list, then they're probably not ready to compose. Uh, right. And you can offer alternative actions or kind of just bias the canvas towards not displaying as many actions. I think it's, um, it, you said it was, four years ago now when you started um, the initial work with material design and I think it was wasn't it like two years ago when it kind of became mainstream or public you really kind of pushed it in a, in a public forum that's correct I'm wondering I was thinking about when when did the desktop or the kind of more universal aspect of, you, of, of material design come into it? Because it was very much Android project in the beginning, it felt like, and, and you yourself described about apps and, and you know, where you can be universal app language. But, but now we're seeing, you know, Google itself is rolling it out on, on, on desktop um, interfaces mm -hmm. and, and other um, tools are, are adopting material design across platforms. When, when did desktop hit you? Um, and, or was it always there? 
Um, it was actually there very, very early on. So um, to the surprise of no one, Google is a very large company. Um, and uh, even though kind of there were kind of a lot of the, the seed ideas from material design did come out of more of the, the Android UX team and the context uh, I was part of that at that time. Um, we're also collaborating with other teams with kind of more of the Chrome UX team with uh, different teams across Google that were focused not specifically on Android, but on that broader context. Um, so kind of while mobile was clearly, you know, a very important focus for work that was being done three years ago and continues to be, um, we were definitely trying to eye desktop uh, from the early stages. Um, and I think we made, uh, we, as we were developing material, we developed this process that we called vignettes, where we wanted a way to pressure test the system. So what we would do is we would just kind of create these fake apps, uh, just as design, not in code. Um, so we'd have you know, a map app, a messaging app, a, a, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We have a dozen of them. Um, and we tried to render them on every surface we could think of. You know, phone, tablet, desktop, television, watch, uh, just to kind of see, well, if this system is coherent enough to work across all of these different devices, we should be able to see it at least across these, these 12 test cases. Um, and if there are problems, we want to identify those early and try to incorporate solutions into it. Um, mm -hmm. So it was definitely something we had uh, looked at from, from the early days. I think you could kind of argue how successfully it's played out or, or how widespread it's become. But I think it is, to your question, something that's becoming more and more visible uh, and I think people's association of what material design is, is drifting a little bit away from that kind of more Android specific context as, as we yeah. intended. That kind of leads me into another question is that, um, so in, one, one of the reasons as Per alluded to in the beginning, one of the reasons why we wanted to, to talk to someone about material design is that in, during our conversations and, and, and our you know, travels across the web and, and with the podcast, what we've found that a lot of UX designers, um, aren't really that up to speed with material design and that's probably due to the dominance of of iphone and apple amongst um our community yeah um so we wanted to kind of you know bring raise the issue up um especially as, as it um becomes more universal and has been adopted across desktop um apps um but my question is um is it is it health is it good that we have competing um design systems or alternative design systems or or should there be one design system to rule them all mm -hmm. um i i will not answer as uh saron uh, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> i i think that it, it is definitely healthy to kind of have a dialogue between design systems and i think what you're seeing is uh if you take like a, a big step back and you look at kind of material design versus the later versions of iOS. Um, there are a very large number of commonalities between those systems. Um, you know, the, the way that navigation patterns are played out, uh, the way that uh, buttons are presented, the way that lists, and especially motion is kind of made an important part of all those systems. So I, mm -hmm. I think while, um, while there are kind of different aims to the different systems, um, they do kind of kind of talk to each other and I think um, are not not so deeply incompatible in a lot of ways. I mean, a common question we get from designers who are looking at applying material design is, 
um, well, how does this apply on, on iOS? And how do I handle the question of system conventions versus platform conventions? Mm, yeah. um, and that's, there's not like a simple answer there. Like many things, it's an, it, it depends type of, of, of answer. Mm. Um, but in many cases, the kind of conventions are not all that different. Um, you know, there are a few kind of interesting ways where um, one pattern or one system gives, you know, heavier emphasis to a subset of patterns where the other maybe supports it, but doesn't give it the same prominence in the system. Um, we're definitely kind of, I don't know, seeing more um, ease of being able to tend to translate between the two environments. Um, but it's certainly kind of something that's not static. I mean, that both systems continue to evolve. They'll move in different ways. They'll offer different capabilities. Yeah. Um, and it's, no, it's just been, it's been very interesting to be part of just to kind of watch how people try to make use of, of these contexts and ultimately try to serve their user goals of uh, being able to provide experiences across different platforms, different devices, where a user can hop in and kind of fluidly apply things that they've learned in one context to another. So they might be right. you know, a user that has a Samsung phone, but they have an iPad or they have a Mac desktop. Yeah. Um, those are not uncommon occurrences at all. Um, so being able to kind of have applications and services that feel familiar across the different uh, systems, but still are imbued with kind of the, the key characteristics of those individual platforms um, mm. is, is a very interesting set of trade-offs designers face constantly. Oh yeah, I guess it's um it's kind of a pleasant or natural consequence of a of design systems that have their roots in the physical world. That that the the the, the overlap and 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 the um the benefits across systems is is going to be larger or, or or natural because you're using natural influences as your as your basis as the root to your 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 concept. Mm -hmm. No, I, I I think that's exactly right. I mean, um, instead of metaphors based on kind of the the desktop metaphors we're used to in the past i mean for many users those those metaphors are completely foreign you know their first computing device is going to be a phone or a tablet and they are not going to have an idea what save or diskette or <laughs> desktop or folders means mm -hmm. um, and we're just trying to kind of build experiences that rely on the most basic possible you know, physical characteristics of you know, paper, ink, uh, how those surfaces move, how they shuffle, mm -hmm. raise, press, depress. Um, and kind of, it's, it's, it's not kind of metaphor in the same way. It's, it's, it's you know, an, an analog, a digital analog uh, to those behaviors. I loved how you described uh, your process of actually inventing apps or making fake apps to test uh, your hypothesis about what would work and what would not, would work in, in different situations, uh, and I love the process of of describing how different things work in, in, to I don't know mimic the physical world. Uh, but material design has also gone as far as to prescribe uh, color palette and and fonts typefaces. Why did you go that far? I mean, uh, and are those even rules? <laughs> and is that uh, the, is the purpose to make it even more consistent? Um, those are actually, you know, not rules at all. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. uh, I'll say they're rules for the way that most Google apps will behave. 
when you see kind of the way that we're using Roboto, the way that we use kind of mm. the material palette as it's described, what you're really mm. seeing is like, here is Google's brand identity as it's being expressed through this design system. Now, if I'm a different brand, uh, maybe I'm kind of like a, a more storied newspaper brand or I'm a, a popular coffee brand. Uh, like obviously those brands have their own like deep typographic histories. They have their own brand palette, their own set of colors. Mm. Um, and material, while we like give you some default you know, things to work with, and we give you a nice readable font for kind of body text uh, in Roboto, um, you are certainly kind of more than free. You're actually encouraged to kind of go beyond and just kind of bring the experience you're, you're already trying to create. I mean, the point is, again, to kind of give that user that consistent experience across all these different endpoints. Part of that is going to be kind of the experience they have beyond uh, the device. It's, you know, it's signage when they walk into your brick and mortar store or the, you know, the paper bill they get at the end of the month. So we definitely encourage teams to express their own palette using material, um, bring their own typography. What we do give guidance about is how that any brand or color system needs to kind of think about primary, secondaries, accent colors, how those play in terms of how they uh, tint or color different controls or elements, how they can be used to kind of uh, reinforce touch feedback or uh, click feedback uh, with ripples or with um, you know kind of visual effects like that. I think I mean maybe that's one. Is that one of your kind of biggest challenges? I suppose with material design is 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 communicating that just that difference you're describing now yeah. between material design as a as a design framework and Google's implementation of that framework across across products that are used by hundreds of millions of people. Absolutely. I mean, we have we have two challenges there. One is is exactly what you've expressed of oh, is this is this Google's language and not mine, uh, and do I need to like become Google to employ it? And the answer is categorically no. But we also face the challenge of is material design just kind of this this Android language, um, and I think people don't often think about it. And maybe it's you know. I'm sure we could have done a, a better job of communicating that, and it's something we kind of continuously work on. And you know, even if we were at Google I/O a couple of weeks ago, this was kind of one of the messages we were we were putting there. Um, it's hard. I mean, Google apps are so incredibly widespread. Um, you're, it's it's hard to find users that don't kind of touch at least some subset of them. So naturally, if that's the experience that they're seeing, if that's kind of the outward-facing version of material design. Um, they're going to make that association. But I think what we're starting to see is more and more apps uh, that aren't from Google, that are even radically different kind of in their, their brand identity, that are able to adapt either full material or aspects of material. Um, and you're starting to see some of those ideas kind of uh, sprinkle through a variety of different contexts. Yeah, I, I've noticed that um, at least on some of the, the apps, I think it was Twitter, for example, that do have the... Um, these, these elements of um, um, of material design you can see. And I think that's the thing. It's like you have elements appearing rather than full-scale adoption. Mm. Um, but it's uh, maybe, what, maybe what you guys need is you need one of the kind of, yeah, one of the like top 10, top 20 web properties, um, maybe even a non-app service to actually um, adopt uh, material design to, to, to highlight yeah. someone else's identity through it. Hmm. And we definitely have some, um, you know, apps that are doing that. Um, you know, we're trying to do a few things in terms of, uh, you know, showcasing through the google.com slash design site, 
uh, apps that are doing a great job of kind of realizing material in different aspects of it, whether it's motion or typography or color or illustration. Um, so yes, I, I agree. You know, there's there's always room for more people to adopt material. Uh, we welcome the opportunity uh, to work with teams. And uh, just kind of referring back to Google I.O., we, we uh, were there for three days and we had a bunch of designers from the material design team and a few of the, our other kind of allied teams. Uh, and we were just doing walk-up design reviews for the three days. And we probably went through, by our estimate, we talked to about 300 different teams. Uh, just kind of oh, wow. answering kind of you know, 15 minutes at a time, 20 minutes at a time. Uh, just yeah. kind of doing quick design reviews, answering questions about mm. material, how it might fit into their products. So I think there's a lot of interest there. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, we certainly encourage it. Mm. <laughs> That's some. awesome. But you have so many people to go around and talk to at Google I.O. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're actually coming up to our heptascale questions. Um, so how this goes is we ask you one question each and you have to answer on a scale of one to seven. Uh, how to respond will be self-evident by the way we ask the question. So, uh, I'll go first. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, now I've got them in front of me. Okay. <laughs> On a scale of one to seven, how lazy are designers who only use the provided examples of material design? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, six. <laughs> Okay. Um, on a scale of one to seven, how important are the laws of physics to design work? Three. Ooh, interesting. Ooh. Oh, so not that important. So we have important for one, yeah. not very important for the other. Mm, interesting. <laughs> mm. See, it leaves us some, leaves the listeners something to think about. There, <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <clears throat> this has been great fun. Thank you so much for joining us, Richard. And thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah. no, it's been, it's been a treat. I learned a lot, actually. It was good. Yeah, it was really yeah. interesting. Great. Great. Thank you. A reflection I have about uh, material design, or at least design frameworks, is, is their, their potential um, to save us time. Mm-hmm. Because I just think about how many, you know, every project we're in, you're, you're coming up with your own like design language or design framework, and how you know you, you, you're reinterpreting a company's, yeah. you know, corporate identity. And you yeah, have art, art directors take a lot of pride into designing something mm. extensively. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not dissing art directors, yeah. but I'm just thinking about, you know, if we if we did have a more oh, generic, may sound really boring, but if we did have more things already established. Mm. Then you know, like you know, mm-hmm. principles of anim- or transition animation, or you know, the laws of physics applied yeah. to a to a screen, yeah. and like depth of z-axis. If that then became mm-hmm. a, a standard component of our work, mm-hmm. think of all the time you could then shift somewhere else. Exactly. User research, finding out whether actually what you're producing was doing any good mm-hmm. in the world. Um, you know, other issues. Uh, you know, you, you spend your focus on a- application of these things rather than invention of these things. No, yeah, I agree. I can be a bit wary of these systems at a time sometimes, but because they make everything look too consistent, everything looks the same, and that's sort of the main critique that's often yeah. uh, put forward uh, when people mention material design and Twitter Bootstrap and all these frameworks. Mm, yeah, but I think the point uh, that we have to take with us, uh, made by Rich in this interview, is that it's it's just that it's just a starting point, 
and f- colors, fonts, everything, that's still you're doing. Mm. Uh, just the ideas that you're saying now, James, of physics, how far off the paper should this icon mm. be? So how, what, how does that affect the shadow? That's, that's the type of thinking, the theory behind the material design. That's the interesting thing. Just buy into that because mm. it's fine. You should really, really yep. try and read it. And then apply that with your own design. Yeah. Or as, much, your do own you colors. Feel, as much do you feel you can apply exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, in, in, in a way that makes sense for your users. Yeah. And I think mm. this is also, uh, you bring up Bootstrap, and I think here is mm. now the key difference here. Mm. Bootstrap was a, is a CSS, uh, basically a, yeah. a, a framework for mm. programming that has a lot of mm. consistency in the program. But it's not a, it's not a design framework. Exactly. It's not being yeah. thought through. In, in the it's not been kind of you know stress tested mm. in the same way as material mm. design has from a whole you know interaction through th- viewpoint mm. um yes the result of it is standard interactions mm. certain things but you know there's much deeper thought at play here mm. love it so i'm actually putting more work into learning more about it now Try, trying to apply the techniques yeah i'm going to spend some time i think reading up a little bit more about it yeah. so thanks for listening we um, are uh, UX podcast, as you know. There will be show notes on the website from this um, show. And we've yeah, asked on Rich, uxpodcast.com. We've asked Rich to send us some, some you know, good things to include there. And uh, do follow us. Do subscribe. And do subscribe to our backstage newsletter to get to know some tidbits about upcoming, upcoming episodes and listener phone-ins and all that. Uh, Even our Telegram channel. Yeah. We can join us there for a little chats. On Twitter, I am Axbom, A-X-B-O-M. And on Twitter, I am Beantin, B-E-A-N-T-I-N. And together we are UX Podcast. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.